This week's show is sponsored by J.R. Hamantation's anthology of dark fiction, You Shall Never Know Security, 13 stories that scared the pants off of me and subsequently left me quivering, pantsless, in a dark alley for the rest of the night. What exactly was I doing reading horror fiction in a dark alley in the middle of the night? Squinting. I recommend reading the Kindle edition instead for only five bucks. Head over to Amazon.com and check out You Shall Never Know Security by J.R. Hamantation. You won't be disappointed. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 222. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Momentous news, folks. Momentous news. Stop the presses. Well, go back in time before new media did that and, you know, stop them first. Stop it! Gah, dinosaurs are so badass. So hey, let old Uncle Norm clue you in on a little not-that-well-kept secret. After months of work, the Drabblecast has a brand spanking, slapping, pinching new website. We've let loose into the wild Drabblecast.org, a proper website, running fearless and free on the World Wide Web, like an elusive, flopping Sasquatch. On the internet. Uh, cyber Sasquatch, if you will. Oh, and you will, because this means all of our content here at the Drabblecast now all in one place, spit-shined and looking just fantastic. Listen to every writhing episode, 236 at present count, including B-Sides episodes, right in your browser, or download them in bunches, each and all coming with new detailed show notes. Time travel backwards through Drabblecast's wild past, our cute and cuddly early episodes, our awkward pimply teenage years, our cocaine adult disco dancing phase, and our cocaine adult time traveling dinosaur hunting phase. You wanna play what? Say hello to my little friend! Badass. Check out brand new artwork for old episodes. Sort episodes by author, by genre, by the presence of aliens, zombies, mind control pandas, fish that swim up and get caught in your pee hole. Whatever it is that presses your personal freak button, people, you can find it now. We've armed you with all the necessary implements to ramrod drabble love right into the brain holes of your woefully uninitiated friends. I get choked up just thinking about it. Like a urethra full of fish. So this massive undertaking could not have happened without so many members of the Drabble community going above and beyond the call of duty. A roll call of the beautiful souls that darped and dripped with episode art and write-ups. Simon Hildebrandt, Phil Pomfrey, Philippa Jones, Corinna Schultz, Jan Dennison, Rob Sieg, Clay Duggar, Kevin Wolmut, Karen Christofferson, Jerry Kyer, Melissa Hills, Bill Walton, Larby Gallagher, Candace Marie Gush, Kathleen Beckett, Forrest Warner, Matt Schindler, Mary Mattis, Bess Gutenstein, Rick Marin, Carly Pleasance Casas, Brent Holmes, Richard Green, Rodolfo Arandondo, David Flett, John DeBurge, Jonathan Wilson, Josh Hugo, Gerald Dye, Caroline Parkinson, Matthew Wasiella, Adam Doyle, Andy Smith, Alyssa Suzumura, Liz Mirzieski, Liz Pennies, Kelly Martinez, Nettie Pinckney, David Steffen, Mike Dominic, Gino Moretto, and Anthony Sullivan. 
And if I missed anybody in there, Bo Kyer, our art director, kept the notes, so blame that son of a bitch. Speaking of Bo, a very special thanks goes out to him and Tom Baker, patron Drabblecast Saint, for the truly Herculean amount of work they put into this. Tom moved our servers, our discussion forums, our feed into a staggering amount of ones and zeros. Bo organized all the community contributions and was ultimately behind making the new site look as freaking fantastic as it does. Can't thank you two guys, and indeed, all you fans out there that contributed your skills and time enough. Check out Drabblecast.org, folks. Behold. The Cyber Sasquatch. Speaking of cyber stuff, that's the theme of this week's show, as you're about to find out. So let's start things off with a hundred word story, shall we? This week's travel is called Duck Hunt, and it comes to us from John Murphy. John's an engineer and writer living in New Hampshire. He's a graduate of Viable Paradise, and his work is featured in Cross Genre. This is going to be so sweet, Billy said, jamming the cheat pack onto the gray cartridge. He blew on the connectors, slid it into the Nintendo, and picked up the orange gun. Three wild shots, and the dog came up. Mid-laugh, Billy popped it right between the eyes. It dropped like a stone. We all cheered. Next round, I got both ducks. It froze there. No dog. We laughed, took the cheat pack off, and restarted the game. Susie got both ducks too, but the screen still sat empty. Still, no dog. My little brother started to cry. I guess sometimes you just don't know what you've got till it's gone, even if it was never really there in the first place. Our feature story this week is Rules for Living in a Simulation by Aubrey Hirsch. Miss Hirsch's stories, essays, and poems have appeared in literary journals both in print and online, including American short fiction, Third Coast, Hobart, Pank, and others. Her first book, Why We Never Talk About Sugar, a collection of short fiction, will be released in the spring of 2012 by Big Wonderful Press. This story first appeared in Daily SF, one of my favorite, if not most favorite, e-zines. Go check them out at dailysf.com. And narrating the story this week, we're delighted to have the amazing one and only George Robb. George is a multi-instrumentalist, singer, songwriter, producer, composer, and heliocentrist who's written and produced six independent CDs, published one book, recorded hundreds of delightful episodes for his award-winning show, The Geologic Podcast, and has performed for President Clinton. George has traveled to four continents promoting critical thinking, science, and skepticism through story and song, and is considered one of the preeminent skeptic, science, atheist, geek, culture, music icons currently living in his apartment. Check him out at georgerob.com. So, without further ado, we bring you Rules for Living in a Simulation by Aubrey Hirsch. Rules for Living in a Simulation by Aubrey Hirsch Now, if we, like those characters in recent movies, discovered specific clues in the world around us suggesting that we do in fact live in a simulation, 
We would, of course, consider those rules carefully to see what they say about how we should live our lives. Robin Hansen. Listen, we're fairly certain it's true. The laws of the universe just don't make sense the way they should, and it's more and more apparent with every atom of gold we run through the relativistic heavy ion collider and every electron we smash up at the large hadron collider that we are living in a universe especially constructed for us. And since we all know infinities cannot be constructed, we must conclude that our universe has been simulated. It's likely that this surprises you. It might even make you short of breath for a moment or two, but don't worry. Your worry itself is proof that you're sentient. The dualists and physicalists were both wrong. You don't need a brain to make a mind. You are proof of that. So is your mother. So is your dog walker. So is the first girl you ever kissed. So is everyone you know, or more precisely, everyone you think you know. Everything you think and feel is real even though it isn't. It's only natural that you'd like to keep on with your simulated living, as would we. To that end, we've devised some rules and would ask for your compliance for the mutual benefit of all involved. First, don't talk about it. Of course it's difficult, and we can't blame you for being tempted, but this is rule number one for a reason. Discussing the simulation with your friends and neighbors, or even noticing out loud the glitches in the program seems like an easy way to get your memory wiped down and rebooted. It's also possible that enough people catching on at once will result in our simulation being shut down completely. For these reasons, we've disguised this audio as a piece of fiction that will appear in an online podcast and ask that, as much as possible, you behave like that's what you're listening to. Feel free to casually pass this link to a friend or acquaintance, but remember, you mustn't discuss it with too much weight. Second, be interesting. This is absolutely paramount. We must all do whatever we can to be as entertaining as possible. Ladies, it wouldn't kill you to have breakfast in your underwear one day a week. Men, more fights with your mothers-in-law, please. Teenagers, think piercings, piercings, piercings. If you need to see the devastating effects of a boring simulation, look no further than the recent disasters that have been plaguing our planet. Things like earthquakes, hurricanes, and tsunamis are likely all at the hands of programmers. There are only so many times you can watch a man get up, get dressed, and get to work unabated before your cursor starts wandering towards file, submenu tools, submenu events and disasters, submenu new disaster. The government, in turn, will continue doing its part to make sure our simulation is an interesting one. We've installed some truly incapable politicians in high-powered jobs across the nation to ensure maximum outrage. Additionally, we've been collaborating with foreign governments to get moving on several international wars that we think will offer prime opportunities for stories of heroism and betrayal and, of course, lots and lots of action. The loss of life will be kept as low as possible, but rest assured that your brave soldiers know that their sacrifice is not in vain. Next, do what you can to preserve processing power. There is always the unfortunate possibility that our simulation will grow too cumbersome for the host servers to handle. 
Ours is an incredibly detailed program, and when you think about how much computer power it takes to generate even a single sentient being, approximately 100 million million operations per second, the idea of simulating our entire universe for the last 15 billion years or so is truly mind-boggling. We don't know what kind of technology our simulators are working with, but we can safely assume their processing power isn't unlimited. Luckily, there are some things you can do to help. Most important, perhaps, is for all of us to do what we can to limit population growth while still having enough sexual encounters to keep the simulation interesting. Maybe a single child is enough for you and your partner, especially considering your child isn't real anyway. Try to ignore the big eyes and soft skin, and think of her instead as miles and miles of computer code etched in silicone somewhere far away. That sweet dimpled smile? 0110010100100100100001. In order to last even this long, the program is likely to be taking some shortcuts. For instance, the stars from your exact position on the globe are probably only generated when you look up at them. Thus, you can help by avoiding things like looking up at the stars. Keeping your sock drawer and closet doors closed also helps, as it is significantly easier to generate the facade of a tightly closed dresser than to have to simulate everything inside it. Try to keep frequently visited spaces like your car and office free of clutter. We will also be staging more events like the BP oil spill to keep people away from beaches for certain lengths of time, to give the program a break from generating all those billions and billions of molecules of water. Finally, be kind to one another. It seems very likely that sitting back and watching a program run is only interesting for so long. The next logical step is for someone from the host world to insert him or herself into our world. Most likely, there are hundreds of thousands of them here, if not more. Since we're all being simulated by the same computer, there's simply no way of telling them from us. We need to make sure these folks are having a nice time here in our universe. Save your drama for people you've known since birth. When you meet a new person, kindness is key. This means no bullying, no betrayal, and we seriously need to cool it on the random acts of violence. Think of our planet as a hospitality town, or even a resort. We all need to be good hosts now. Our universe depends on it. was our story. Hope you enjoyed. And to close things out this week, a little after-dinner mint in the form of a hundred-character story. We call them Twabbles, and each week we pick one from the TwitFix section in our discussion forums and post it out on our Twitter feed at the Drabblecast. The winning story this week comes from ROU Killing Time, and it goes a little something like this. Bo waded through the mangled body parts and scattered office supplies to his cubicle. He really hated Casualty Friday. Wow. 
Love it. Try writing one yourself. 100 characters exactly, not counting spaces. Post it in the forums, linked off Drabblecast.org. You might be next week's winner. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial node derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. This show runs off the support of listeners such as yourself. If you enjoyed this week's story, pitch us a donation off the links off our website. We really appreciate it. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Mike Dominic. Mike's a freelance illustrator and comic book publisher operating out of Nova Scotia, Canada. His work can be found online at www.paladinfreelance.com and www.aimcomics.com. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, I'm Norm Sherman, reminding you ladies out there, it wouldn't kill you to have breakfast in your underwear one day a week. <laughs> <laughs>